Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's All Ireland Final Podcast with Owen Murph. Hello there, Owen. And Ken. If you're looking for our Rugby World Cup preview, our big one that is, that show's already out and waiting for you. Hopefully, the Irish team is settling into their Cardiff base a little easier than the French are adapting to life in London. Murph, it's a tough old, tough old grind for the highly paid French professionals. Well, you've, you see, London is a tremendous place, a tremendous city, uh, the buzz of it all. You know, my father calls it the capital of the world. But, uh, <laughs> he did, you know. But, um. England is only part of the world. It is not the, the world. world. It's, that is certainly true, as Behop once told us, yeah. yeah. But the French, the French have settled in Croydon in London. That's, that's. I don't know London. Croydon well enough, is that's just right, a part it? of London. Yeah. It is not all of London. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the French are moaning that, uh, their Rugby World Cup base in Croydon is a monotonous. And Patrick, and it, the Guardian has helpfully added, not very stylish in brackets, uh, suburb. It's a uh, dump. It's a dump. Yes, Shane oh. Card, you're absolutely. It's a dump. <laughs> the Metro News newspaper said Croydon was sad. Uh, uh, if Le Bleu have enjoyed the charms of the very British Selsden Park Hotel, there's no doubt they'll linger for far less time in the town that surrounds it, because of the place where the French 15 are staying is pretty and leafy. This South London suburb. Is much less so. Uh, so, Croydon City Council have spoken out about this, uh, and they do reckon that Croydon is wonderful. But uh, the French, yeah, they're 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 not happy. I mean, it usually takes a couple of weeks. I thought for these stories to be printed, the <laughs> our World Cup base is shit. But I mean, this was actually it's not. This is from yesterday's newspaper. I mean, it's it's two days before the tournament has even begun, and French the French have decided that for me, Croydon, no. Well, I mean, I've Patrick got a few, a few things to say with this. Number one, did the French not bother to have a look at where they were going to go before they went there? I mean, well, if they wanted to stay somewhere... Maybe they booked it late. Well, yeah, I mean, in that case, maybe they should shut their mouths. They should probably have a logistics guy on top of that from um, early on. I mean, they, they, were, they didn't have to qualify. They were going to be in the tournament. Secondly, I have spent a lot of time in Croydon. Yeah. And it's... 
I think Croydon's got heart. It's got feelings too. It's got a big IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, look, Croydon See, is. You all laugh, but I mean, it's a bloody good shop that. Well, Croydon is Croydon is not a bad place. I, I don't understand the, the pretensions of these these French people. I mean, it's it's outrageous. Well, they're from France, Ken. I mean, France is pretty beautiful. A lot of the towns in France are very boring. It's a it's a name names. It's, it's quite a boring name country. Names. Name names. France is a boring country. There's not a lot going on there. Those French guys should be given thanks that they are so close to London, the place where sometimes things do happen. A place which, incidentally, is full of young French people uh, <laughs> trying to escape the stultifying tedium of their homeland. <laughs> you don't like Paris, no? Toulouse, the well, look, there is nowhere in the south of well, France does anything I for mean, you. Paris is a, Paris is a beautiful city, but like you go to the Croydon of Paris and... Well, I mean, I'm not... Okay, sure. we're not talking about Croydon anymore, right? Forget about Croydon. You've just said that France is the most boring country in the world. It's, it's a country... And I, I would take it. Where not a lot happens. Where not a lot happens. Not much has happened there since the 18th century. I would go so far as... Everything to... has just been one big, long meh since the well, 18th Ken, century. I'm not buying that. Who are we talking to here? You're going to be over there reporting from the, fresh from your wildly successful cameo in the Pundits Prediction section of the Irish Times World Cup supplement. Who here read that and did, did not immediately think sending this man to the rugby Somebody World Cup? Somebody on high in the Irish Times said, this guy's got to go and cover God some games. What have you got? New Zealand, Argentina, England, Fiji, uh, France, Italy, one of the glamour ties? Uh, South Africa against Japan. Uh. And uh, what's the other one? Samoa against USA. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those okay, are... Well, no, you're getting a real flavour of the World <laughs> Cup there. The fear and loathing in Las Vegas derby. And then the, uh, <laughs> the uh, I don't know, the clash of the uh, two power coaches, the Boer against the Samurai. Not the Boer, of course. South African rugby is about more it's than just that. It's, it's a rainbow nation. It's the rainbow team against the... It'll be a real, the rising the sun. It'll be yeah. a real humdinger there between two evenly matched sides. South uh, African Japan. South African Japan, yeah. Well, I've, it should be interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it, I've never been to Brighton before, so I'm looking No, Brighton's to Brighton. meant to be nice, yeah. isn't it? People nice in Croydon. Is. People say that. Look, no, you know, no one is, no one is talking about Croydon. You know, outside of Croydon, usually, and the and these French rugby players. Brighton is a place with an international reputation. Should be, should be good to. This, yeah, know. this seems like a pretty good time to mention our auction, charity auction that we're doing for Medicine Sans Frontier, their refugee appeal. Uh, we've got two lots of these prizes to give away: an Irish Rugby World Cup jersey signed by the whole World Cup squad, and two return Aer Lingus flights to London at a time you're choosing. You can go to Croydon. You can explore all of London. Uh, Bright- Brighton too. Brighton I mean, too. London's a good Bright- base to travel elsewhere it's in the UK. Short hop well. to Brighton. This so. is all with thanks to Aer Lingus, who are the official airline sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We'll also throw in five tickets to our next live recording of the podcast in the Sugar Club in October. VIP tickets, uh, which means Murph will regale you with stories of his Galway under twenty one football career afterwards. That's uh, I have extra four. Element. I have four <laughs> stock GA uh, stories that I like to tell. You will get to hear. <laughs> Not one, not two, not three, but all four. Loads of Second Captains goodies, hoodies, t-shirts, all this kind of stuff, mugs. Uh, to bid, all you have to do is tweet us at Second Captains with the hashtag RefugeeAppeal and the amount you'd like to bid. So that's at Second Captains, our usual Twitter handle, and just use the hashtag RefugeeAppeal with a nice figure on there as well, please, for a great cause. Drop us an email, editor at Second Captains with Refugee Appeal in the subject line. Uh, the bids are starting at €1,000 for this one, so do get involved. It couldn't be a better or more timely Yeah, come uh, on, people. Cause. Come on. So that's signed. You know what it is. I've given you all the details. Just go and do it now. That's that's all. That's all we need to happen here. Uh, we'll announce the winner on next week's podcast. Murph, we're talking to US Murph today about Rex Ryan. Give me mm. a 35 to 55 second 
summation of why Rex Ryan's interesting? Uh, previously extremely fat, now less fat, possibly due to a gastric band uh, operation. Uh, likes to talk big in the week before he plays the New England Patriots. Uh, the New England Patriots have made a extremely enjoyable for them habit of sticking a lot of points on Rex Ryan teams. Used to manage the New York Jets, now is head coach of the uh, Buffalo Bills. This change of scene should perhaps have meant an ideal opportunity for him to stop needling the Patriots. Bills play Patriots this week, and he's been talking a lot about how he's going to put the smack down on the New England Patriots. So he's a pretty entertaining character, uh, described as about as flamboyant a character as the National Football League currently has. So on we go. Beautifully delivered. And if you're a real podcast nerd, you are going to click that 15-second back button. Yeah, mm. you're going to press that a few times just to time to see if Murph got in the time range there. I said 35 to 55 seconds. I think he might have done it there. Uh, I'm guessing somewhere around squeaked in easily. I somewhere around 45 seconds there. Excellently done. Dublin against Kerry is the, the fixture this weekend in the on the GA calendar. Mm. All Ireland football final. Jim McGuinness mentioned. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, Ken. Kerry and Dublin is often described as the dream final, but whose dream? Um, in other words, lovers of Gaelic football. Well, that is uh, an argument. Lovers of tradition? Lovers of Gaelic football from Dublin and Kerry. <laughs> uh, from Dublin and Kerry, but also, also um, lovers of, of seeing the little streets hurled upon the great, you know, given that Kerry usually beat Dublin. Well, not, um, not recently. Making most of the rest of the country happy. Hmm. Because it is true that the rest of the country sides with Kerry, apart from maybe some of the neighbouring areas. The rest of the country sides with Whoever the team Dublin that plays Dublin against. usually, but I don't know if it's as pronounced when it's Kerry. Is it? It is actually, yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, if it was, but, you know, it's not, it's not Mayo when even Dublin people are. <laughs> they hate thinking. our freedoms. They hate our freedoms. That's what this is all about. And you know, <laughs> the, it doesn't matter who who it is. It doesn't matter who it is that's bringing Dublin down. The rest of the country is going to line up. And if it was Dublin against Nazi Germany, I think it would be. I think a lot of people around the country, you know, a yeah. lot of people, they'd be bringing out those red and black. Banners, you know, no, whatever. I think, whatever I think you've gone yeah, too no, far. You've, you've jumped you've the fence there, far. baby. No, I don't think. I, fence. I honestly don't think so. I, I know how it is, but you know, that's uh, that's what you got to get used. You're to. You're living in the middle of it now, Ken. Has All Ireland fever completely infiltrated the early household? Well, I'm going to be in Brighton, watching Samoa against USA. So, <laughs> your first, yeah, your first year there for All Ireland football final weekend, living around Croke Park. Hopefully, it's Ken is practically living in the dressing rooms in Croke Park. That's how close he is to so, stay. So, yeah, I mean, if it's a draw, you know, then maybe we get to to do it all again. We're going to be talking to Malachi Clerken in just a few minutes. Oshin McConville has landed in. Oshin, how are things? All form. The form is good. Looking forward to Sunday. We normally start these All Ireland final previews with some ah airy fairy nonsense, as John Giles might call it, about how great it is to win All Ireland finals, all the upbeat stuff. But Let's I want to ask you, no, quite the opposite <laughs> this week, because Darrow Shea had a very interesting column in the Irish Times talking about what it's like to lose these finals. He says, uh, losing a final changes you as a person. It makes you very cynical towards the whole business of winning and losing. You become defensive as an automatic response to everything. You become suspicious of everything that's said about you, good or bad. That sounds severe. Was it the impact that losing a final had on you? Uh, yes, it's pretty severe. And it's pretty severe, I suppose, when the rivalry we had with Tyrone that was building up at that stage, uh, and it happened to be them that we lost uh, uh, All-Ireland Final. It was the first All-Ulster Final, I'm nearly sure. And you don't want to leave your house. You don't want... like Even the old thing of drowning your sorrows sort of you know doesn't seem that if it's going to make anything right. Um you're embarrassed, um, I think, a little bit by it. Uh, you feel as if you've let people down. You know, the usual bombardment of texts, 
that you get after a match in your phone that's waiting on you, as in congratulations, you're brilliant. You know, from maybe forty text messages after the previous All Ireland final to you, you're going into the realms of single figures, <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, Jesus, you know, people are really, you know, voting with the feet there, but uh, it's just not the same. Uh, it, it just makes everything, and and the thing about All Ireland finals is you still have to go through the same homecoming and. <clears throat> all that sort of thing, of course, and, yeah. and people patting you on the back and saying we're proud of you, and you know, you know, look at you owe us nothing. But look at where uh, we are disappointed, and that's sort of what makes it worse. And and then you feel as if, honestly, like you do feel as if that's it. I don't want to play Gaelic football anymore. I don't even like the sport. I don't know why I started. And that's the way you go. And then all of a sudden you try and get back into club training, you know, within a week and. It's just it's really really difficult situation to bring yourself back from. Uh, as I say, I don't have that many experiences, you know, of losing. We've lost we've lost one club final and we've lost one uh, inter county final against Throne. Don't have that many more experiences. There's actually defeats that probably rankle with me more. Uh, a couple of semi final defeats, but uh, losing a final is different in that. As I say, you have to go through that whole protocol of mm. of fulfilling everything that you would fulfill. You can't just disappear after no, a semi final, like you would after a semi final, like a banquet. Like yeah. I remember, we went to the banquet, and I remember uh, a couple of us left the banquet. Well, you know, there was a few speeches, and you know, the chairman talks, and the manager talks, and the captain talks, and a few of us slipped out into the into the bar and, uh, you know, outside. And I remember a couple of supporters coming out to us and telling us how much of a disgrace we were because we really? weren't listening to and like really and truly like you just want to you know you want to lose the, lose the head at that stage but as I say you still have to go through the exact same thing so there's a banquet there's a homecoming you still have to go, being a loser being, feeling as if you're a failure which you are you're, you're, if you haven't won the all iron you're a failure and um, so probably in many ways even though the semi-final defeats rankle with me more uh, they're probably easier in a way, mm. if you know what I mean, because you don't have to go through all that stuff. Yeah, and I know people listening might be saying, well, you know, Darrow Shea, get over yourself, you won enough <laughs> All-Irelands. But his point was, yeah, of course, I won loads of All-Irelands, yeah. but that didn't take, actually didn't take much away from the pain of the ones that mm. I lost, which and is funny. The, the, the point that I thought was really interesting as well was that once you've lost one, w- winning again doesn't, Sort of replay, you know, you're not as naive again to think, oh, well, all these people come up, you know, slap me on the back, tell me I'm brilliant and all the rest. Uh, you know, you don't get, you, you don't, kind yeah. of don't fall back yeah. into that trap. You're, you immediately say, right, well, where were you when, when we lost one? Yeah. And I think that was kind of the interesting thing that, that it, it's, a, say, Dublin carried this weekend. I mean, it's not like it's Armagh either. Yeah. You know, Armagh won their first ever and the following year they were back yeah. in, in another, you know, it's easier for fans to stick with you in a situation like that. If, if Kerry lose this All Ireland, they've lost three times on the bounce yeah. to Dublin. If Dublin lose this All Ireland, having had the best team, most people would say over the last yeah. five years, they've actually only won two All Irelands. Yeah. There's not really much of a safety net for either of the, these two teams going into Sunday. I wouldn't have thought. No, they have a huge amount to prove, and and you know the way sports people say about winning, sort of the winning thing makes you soft, mm. and uh, and I think that 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 tends to be the case. You know that you're used to winning, you keep winning, and that makes you soft. The only thing I would say about 2003 with us is that uh, we actually lost the first round championship and we went the back door route. So we should have been primed, you know, mm. but we we weren't, you know, we weren't set up for defeat that year. I think these two teams, like when you look at them, uh, like you can make absolutely brilliant arguments for both of these teams to win this game. 
And, you know, I suppose the overwhelming thing for me is that Dublin looked to be getting in to this All-Ireland final still slightly uh, unsure what their best team is. Uh, still unsure how good they are in the middle of the field. And for me, this is where they're going to be tested most this week is in is in that middle is that middle area. And you've got, you're talking about Paul Flynn, who's not having a great season, and you're talking about Dame O'Connolly, who sometimes are able to to pull them out of that situation because they win a lot of ball in their in their area. Um, Dame O'Connolly was very very poor and was extenuating extenuating circumstances. The last day I can nearly say that. <laughs> But uh, there were circumstances that were at play the last day that, that didn't help him. And uh, and I think Dame O'Connolly, for Dublin to win this All-Ireland, has to have a huge game now because of the fact that Paul Flynn is playing so, so below par. Yeah, we might actually mention Paul Flynn because there was an interesting piece on him this week. But uh, just to get on to Malachy Clerken, who spent some time there with Darrow Shea, Malachy this week, and Kerry and some other legends. How many people tried to convince you that they're only coming up here? Sure, they may as well fulfil this fixture anyway and, and come up for the trip. The best one I heard, uh, I was in Waterville on Monday night, uh, was I, I heard one guy say, with, with an absolute straight face, I think I'd give our boys a shake. That was as far <laughs> as he was prepared to go. I'd, I'd give our boys a shake. Well, this is the yeah, this is the kind of phony warfare we get. But it was interesting what Dara was saying there, you know, about, I don't know if that's the sense you get from maybe the more experienced Kerry players, these guys like Cullum Cooper, and Donaghy, that uh, as much as wanting to win an, another All Ireland, there's this fear of how they're viewed when they lose one. That maybe is as much of an inspiration. Yeah, well, it's it's not so much that. It, it, it's more that, like at, at this stage, it's absolute business for these guys. Uh, that, that that's what I've I've always sort of gleaned uh, from Dara, especially, is that you get to you get to this point, you get to whatever age you are, late twenties, early thirties, and all you're doing is looking around the dressing room going, can I pick up another medal? It's it's a, an accumulation process a, a, at this stage. And what the having lost ones before does to you, uh, and, and I thought that, that Murph was right, I thought that was the best part of Dara's column, which is one of his best for a long time, I thought, was that w- what it does is, is it is something that you have to carry with you and lessens the the sort of joy you get in actually winning one um and i thought that that was a, a kind of an extraordinary revelation that that even though you go and win one you don't wash it away it doesn't wash away what and the the point being that and you guys interview uh, retired sports people all the time and you do it on the tv show and and the one common thread through all of them is that the the losses tear at them far more than the than the defeats kind of buff them out you know and i think that's that is as close as i've come across as a, as a reason for it and that there's a level of sort of resentment in in these guys in what losing big games did to them as a person you know and and that to me was a really interesting insight does uh, we've been talking a little bit about the glamour attached to this fixture myself and murph here uh Slightly annoys me that this is seen as more glamorous than any other game, any other final. Yeah, which is, which is fair enough, but it, but it, it is, and maybe more so. Not so much hardcore GA fans, but your people, floating people, Irish sports fans. Yeah, people automatically presume that that this is that this is a huge game, you know, or that this is kind of like the dream All Ireland final for GA fans. Like I was yeah. sitting in a taxi 
a couple of weeks ago and Dublin had just won, you know, and it was, oh, well, you know, sure, the, the GA get the final they want anyway, you know, Dublin and Kerry, you know, every, sure everyone wants to see Dublin and Kerry. You know, it's like, I, I'm looking, I'm going, yes, I'm, I, I, I don't know about you, but I certainly haven't heard enough of this rivalry they appear to have in the 1970s, you know, but someone should, you know, someone should really uh, try and uh, build that one up, you know. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, I think you ha- we kind of have to wear that, you know, that for people outside of uh, Dublin and Kerry, for the floating sports fan, this is kind of the Man United Liverpool FA Cup final. Uh, there's a there's an extent to which you you do have to wear that, but but I think what what we should be interested in is is the the offshoot of that is that there seems to be this sort of pat assumption that the game will be a classic on the back of that. Yeah, mm. and. I don't. I think if you if you look on any uh, objective sporting terms at the way these two teams go about winning, I think we're really set up for such a tactical game on Sunday. This idea that you know that it's going to be a shootout and it's going to be real open. These two teams get to where they get to by identifying what they need to stop in the opposition like if we if we really think that Eamon Fitzmaurice hasn't worked out by now that their big weakness is that teams can run down the middle of the of their defense then obviously what he's going to do on Sunday is pack the center of that defense uh Dublin the same you know if if Keane O'Sullivan I I think Keane O'Sullivan's absence or presence could almost be a deciding factor in this game because of his intelligence in sorting out the centre of the Dublin defence. And if he is not there, then the steps Dublin take to shut down Kerry coming through the middle there will will invariably involve numbers and will involve structure and all of that sort of stuff. So this idea that it's going to be a, a wild bacchanalian shootout, it just, it, it just doesn't ring true to me. No, I would I would agree with that, <clears throat> but I'd also disagree on the on the O'Sullivan thing because I think there's a couple of players can come in and, and play that centre half back role. It was, O'Sullivan has played the last couple of games as sort of like a sweeper, and, and I've said yeah. this to you guys before. It hasn't really worked. I don't think. I think he's a, he's a serious footballer. I if I was in Dublin shoes, I would revert back to the McCauley O'Sullivan midfield pairing. That okay had its. Uh, limitations in the fact about winning clean ball in the middle of the field but you consider the, t- the year they won the All-Ireland um, they were never really overrun or they were never really destroyed in the middle of the field and I think uh, you know they seem to have thought a lot about that centre-half back position and replacing uh, Gerard Brennan mm. and I think you know I've mentioned this guy's name John Small numerous times now to you, to you guys I just think he's a better fit for that position because he seems to me like one of those players who's Who's very natural at playing that actual role? I don't think he'd start. Um, I think but you would start him if, if I would start him. I would start. I, I've seen enough of him for 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 me to think that he is an, a player who can play that sweeper system, especially if if uh, if Buckley you know goes walkabouts, which he tends to do from centre half forward. You know he he could be that extra little bit of protection. I think he's defensively more sound. He's cuter than, than O'Sullivan at playing that actually. You are role. amazing though if you put O'Sullivan into midfield with McCauley, you're taking Brian Fenton out of there, who is one of the better players, particularly in the second half of the replay against Mayo. I know, and I just think sometimes you have to be ruthless. And I think that uh you know, if, o- if O'Sullivan is a hundred percent fit, then I, I know it's a massive call, but that's that's who that's who I would I would put in there. Oshin touched on Paul Flynn earlier, Malachi. This is another one of these 
we talked about Dear McConnelly, if he has a great game, Dublin win. You'd have to think if Paul Flynn recaptures the form that he showed most seasons up until this one, that Dublin be able to shout as well. Eamon Dunne wrote a piece in the Irish Times about the, the stats surrounding Paul Flynn's season. For example, subbed in the replay against Mayo. He only had 11 involvements in the game. Uh, and there was a 15-minute period. In the se- Nine of those were in the first half. So he comes out with the second half. You would think all fired up. Uh, has one touch early on, has one involvement 15 minutes later, and that's it. Nothing in between times, and then he's taken off. Would you expect a player of that calibre to be able to produce a performance on tap in an All-Ireland final? The the interesting thing about Paul Flynn, because I've been at all of Dublin's games, and and from maybe the, the Leinster semi-final, I was watching him trying to work out what it was was wrong. Um and and trying to remember what it was that made him, a, a, you know, an all star four years in a row. And one of the things that that he was has always been that that sort of def, has always defined him, well, is complete certainty in what he does. You know, he he has very often been the guy in the first fifteen twenty minutes of a Dublin game when Dublin are looking to sort of blow a team out of it, impose their will physically and on the scoreboard. He is the guy that picks up ball sticks it over the bar makes decisive passes you know remember when like when Steven Gerrard was was at his best he had this this decisiveness about him where every pass you know just was really kind of made on the run like there was no real thought put into it and I think sometimes Flynn was like that and I look at him this year and he seems to be second guessing himself a good bit he seems to be getting involved in uh, skirmishes and rows with his opposite number an awful lot. He seems to sometimes decide to sort of go right. Uh, I I remember that I used to score great points from about forty meters, so I'm going to shoot here, like he did against uh, Mayo in the in the drawn game where he hit that wide that just before the Mayo comeback, and he just looks like somebody who's. I know we use the sort of the cliche short on confidence, but it's it's more kind of there's an uncertainty about him. Now, I don't know. It's going. It would take an incredible strength of character to find that certainty on the biggest day of the year, having not been able to find it against, say, Longford or Westmeath or whoever earlier in the year. So, I I don't know that that he can just turn it on on Sunday, you know, um, and. That'll be, you know, that's that's one in the loss for, column for Dublin if he can't. I, I watched him, uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember, the first 20 minutes of the first Mayo game, and he gave two uh, passes into the full forward line with the outside of the boot, and they were absolutely perfect. And you would think, he was actually involved quite a lot early in that game, and you think, you know, this guy, he's, he's arrived today. You know, he's, he's got, he's, it's on the big stage and he's arrived. And, and after that, he really just completely went out of the game. Uh, I don't know, you know, the stats on how many touches he had, but he had very few, and then he was he was called ashore that uh, that day too. I think the big thing for Paul Flynn is that I, I an answer to your to your question, Owen. I think he can turn it on. I think it's there. You know, I don't think it's probably as far away as people think, but it's amazing the things that 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 change. A complete season for forward. Like you watch how Donaghy's season changed, and then as a result of that, Kerry Kerry season changed. Paul Flynn has been a constant, so he's all he, he's been shown. There's been faith been shown in him all the time, and I don't think he's he's even in danger. Nobody's thinking Paul Flynn mightn't start at the weekend. No. That's never been muted. But uh, I think yes, he can he can he can he can 
definitely turn it on. And it only takes one simple thing, as Monik says, a point from 40 yards. Something, a switch goes off inside your head saying, right, it's time to play a ball again. It's the, it's the biggest stage of all now. So I think that he has the potential to do that. It's an, it's an ask, and it's a big ask because of you know the season that he's had. But absolutely, he can do it. Yeah, the 2011 final... Uh, we look back at it as a bit of a classic, certainly the last 10 or 15 minutes of it. Mm. Um, what we what we kind of forget about in retrospect is that Dublin had had this terrible record against Kerry. Like, lost just non-stop to Kerry in the championship up until 2011. It was like, it went back to the 77 semi-final and the 76 final, and then it was years and years and years before that as well. So this Kerry-Dublin rivalry, people were actually writing, it's not a rivalry, Dublin won a couple of times, and other than that, it's been Kerry. Yeah. Now, you look at it, Dublin won the 2011 final, the 2013 semi-final, and, they, you know, this is, the, they kind of have their foot on Kerry's neck a little bit here in, in relation to the to the, the rivalry. Do you think that, that that sort of thing is, you know, Kerry have slayed the Tyrone dragon in the semi-final, the... the the pressure that they're going to put on themselves now to make sure that they don't lose three huge games to Dublin in a row, that's obviously going to be a huge pressure on Kerry. Yeah, I think they're, go- <coughs> they're coming from a completely different place. I don't know if you remember the bank holiday Monday when uh, Kerry and Dublin played in the quarterfinal. Yeah. Uh, was that 08 or... 09. 09. 09. Yeah. And I remember... <laughs> I I had I had I've been working that whole I think it was matches Saturday Sunday and, and I ended up in in swords with, with the wife and we were we were we were shopping or whatever she was looking for something and I watched it in through one of the uh, one of the one of the yeah. windows it just the windows stood of an electrical yeah store and the windows yeah. of an electric store electrical store and I couldn't I couldn't believe because Dublin were in a, such a good place to win that game that day and uh, everything said Dublin's going to win today and Dol- Kerry just came and completely sucker punched him. If you remember the semi-final in 13, like Kerry played some of the most attractive football, ended up losing the game by eight points. So I just think Kerry's in a different position now. I think having won the All-Ireland last year, I think there's there's huge emphasis this year on winning it because I think they would have seen, Eamon Fitzmaurice, I think, would have seen at the start of last year saying to himself, listen, if we can build this, and winning all Ireland next year, you know that'd be that'd be huge for us, considering the amount of players are missing and everything. So, I just think that that Kerry uh, are well set up for this game. Really? Yeah, yeah, really well set up. Marky, any chance of a selection bombshell from the people you've been talking to, like a Tommy Walsh or something coming in from nowhere? Was a wee hint of that. Uh, no, that's a pub talk, like you know, because nobody. Go on, Malachi. Go on. <laughs> this is what yeah, we like well, to hear. But nobody, nobody knows anything in Kerry anymore, so it's just more pub talk than than usual. But uh, sure, sure that should mean less pub talk. But obviously, that's there not was, how that operates. There was this this idea. Um, they really love an All Ireland final curveball down there. You know, even. Maybe not so much uh, selection-wise, but even like last year, you know, first five minutes pulled James O'Donoghue and Kieran Donaghy out the field and leave <clears throat> Paul Ganey on his own in fr- in front of goal, and a goal comes after three minutes. You know, they do like to 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 come up with something. Um, there has been no suggestion on any level from anybody that I've heard that Tommy Walsh has got himself right yet. Um, like he hasn't really, he hasn't featured in the last two games particularly. Um, I I think their main sort of selection issue this week uh, comes down to uh, Gainey or Donaghy really. 
Um, and even at that, I think there's absolutely no doubt that both of them will play some part. They will both be in front of the Dublin goal at a certain point in the game, whether it's at the start or at the finish, one or other of them will be there. So Who do you I don't think know start? if it actually matters that much. Who do you think will start? Well, I think Donaghy will, will probably start, but I I would start Ganey. I think the Ganey will start. Do you reckon? Yeah. I uh, well, I'd, I'd be in the Malachy camp in that I would I would pick Ganey, but that that Donaghy maybe deserves another chance. I mean, the one thing that I would say though is that Fitzmaurice doesn't really do sentiment. Do, yeah, he doesn't do it. He yeah. doesn't do that. You know, like oh, he no, really if doesn't he do star- that. If Donaghy starts, it'll be because Fitzmaurice has a plan for him. It's not because he's captain. That's, yeah. that, that won't come yeah. I, Oh yeah, as has been said in this podcast and Galvin hasn't had much of a look in despite being his brother-in-law mm. so I don't think he takes <laughs> too much account of non-football factors. Uh, Liz Malachy, very quick prediction there from you. Uh, my prediction is predicated on, on Keanu O'Sullivan much as uh, Oisin doesn't agree with that with that uh, that idea. If he plays, I'd, I'd give it to Dublin by two points. If he doesn't, I think Kerry will win. Right, well you're, you're backing oh. up your earlier words with the prediction. Oisin? Um, so, uh, I think I've said Kerry from the start of the year. And uh, I'm going to go Kerry by four or five. I've said Kerry from the start of the year. I don't know about four or five though. I'm going to give. I'm going to give it to Kerry by a point, Murph. Yeah, and I, well, I said Dublin um, for, uh, at the start of the year. Uh, I'm not confident. Uh, I, I would probably be backing Kerry. I don't think I've seen enough from Dublin. I, you know, I, I thought that they would progress as a team from the from 2013. You're nervous cracking, Murph. You're <laughs> I know, I know. I, 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 what, there are rules now. I can't, I can't <laughs> take Kerry. Is that, is that it? Okay, so Dublin is You can it. change. Lads, Dublin brilliant stuff. Malachi, thanks so much, Oshin. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Cheers, lads. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Yeah, just go back to that point that Maliki made earlier about this not about the type of game it's going to be whether or not it's going to be a massive shootout I agree with him I don't think it is I don't think it's going to be I don't think you're going to have a first half like you had against mm. between Dublin and Mayo where it's point for point I do think there could be goals in it though uh, it's all about good saying okay both teams are going to play a certain system and try to clog up the middle but the, that might not be successful for the entire time and both sets of forwards in fact both teams from sort of half back mm. on are so proficient in attacking a pace that it's not Beyond the realms of possibility to see one of them score, you know, two two in five minutes. Yeah, I think the I think the it will be a high quality game. Mm. I think that there might be times in the game where defenses are on top, but I think there's just too many quality footballers for it not to be. It 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 might not be that entertaining, but I think it'll be there'll be high quality. I I don't think there'll be that many wides, and I think there'll be a lot of high quality scores kicked in it. Yeah, because there'll have to be. I don't think anyone's going to get. You know, a twenty-one yard tap overs, and if they are, it'll have been on the end of a two or three minute attacking drill that eventually puts someone into a bit of space. But um, I, I still think it'll be a good game. I, I, I kind of can't see a situation where the, the, the where both defenses are so on top that the the forward on the opposing team isn't going to get any sort of a sniff. And I think that a sniff is all these guys need. Ushin really brought me back there when he mentioned that he watched the two thousand and nine quarterfinal between Dublin and Kerry in uh, well from at a shopping centre looking in through the window of an mm. electrical shop I, yeah. I didn't realise that was still done I mean that's where I watched most of my early Premier League, Premier League of, action, old yeah. first division football when it'd be shown on RTE on a Saturday afternoon it would get to about uh, quarter past two half two mum would go 
oh no, we're going going shopping now. Mm. I'm like, oh yeah, but you don't need me there. Just like, oh, well, no, what, what, I, I would like you there. You know the kind of bit of guilt. And it's like, mm. it's, just, it's just a lot easier for me if you yeah, come what's along. Going, what's going on there now? You have to carry the shopping bags. Is that it? Or is it just you know sort of? No, she. Well, I'd have to do. Well, she. We arrived there. Yeah. Well, ideally, this is what would happen. Often, I ended up just sneaking off and standing outside with a lot of other young boys and <laughs> o- older boys who should know a lot better. Short pants. Watching the watching the football. Yeah. No, you'd end up going it's in. Like, this is like some scene out of Dickens. Like, are you serious? When yeah. when when was this? It's, like it's the thirties. Oregon Shopping Center. We're talking <laughs> late eighties. Into late eighties. Standing there, no arse in his trousers. <laughs> Well, his his face pressed against the window of the electrical goods store. Well, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> the, the butcher next door giving him raw meat for his lunch. Well, it is true. That well, what the hell is going on here? I, I, I did. A, it was a bit of a workout. My mum didn't have a car at the time, so I actually would have to... We'd finish the shopping. She'd do most of the shopping, realistically. Yeah. She'd send me around for a few bits. She'd go, you get this, this, this. I'd bring the troll in the trolley. Off we go. So we'd walk home often. Uh, we got about halfway home, back to the church there in Kilmacourt, Ken. Mm. At that stage, I'd return with the trolley and leave the rest of the bags with her and maybe my sister. And uh, I'd run back with the trolley, oh, yeah. leave that back. I was always saying, could we just leave the trolley here in the church grounds? I mean, you know. Mum's like, no, no. This is back before you had to pay a euro per trolley as well, but this is purely on faith that she was bringing these back. This is where you get your... Um... So then I'd run back with the trolley, come back again, meet them and walk the rest of the way back with the bags. This is, this is where you get your talent for running on. You're like those... Uh, we're always hearing this kind of story in these, Kenya. These yeah. Qu- yeah. You know, but uh, the young Al McDevitt running around with it, pushing a trolley around the streets of Kilmacud. First Delorgan shopping centre, just insert and, well. did you, and And surely, as you were running along the street with a trolley, at some point someone must have taken issue with you, thought that you were some young scamp who'd stolen it, as opposed to, a you know, a, a good citizen who was returning the trolley. You just looked like a, a vagrant youth. Uh, I didn't really, though. I looked... I was quite a quiet kid as well, so I would have avoided eye contact with anyone at yeah, that point. Yeah. I would have just run. Plus also, when you're eight or nine, you run really fast. I mean, there's nobody's going to stop you anyway, even if they want to try and yeah. keep you around the year. Mm. Uh, yeah. Go on, yeah. I'll give you one more. <laughs> <laughs> when you were running with the trolley, did you jump? Did you push the trolley really hard and then jump up on top of it and then go along? And glide. Ride, riding, yeah. riding along the trolley in a dangerous yet seductively Thrilling. fun manner. Well, no, that's ludicrous shopping trolley etiquette. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ludicrous. Crazy question. The Irish Times second captain's Champions League podcast. That was a real insight, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, that, yeah, we like learned I've something today. That, yeah. It's out now. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Champions League on group stage underway, and uh, some interesting games there uh, the other night. Obviously, a lot of bad results for Premier League teams who are um, some, somewhat in the position of Dublin now uh, when they go and play in the Champions League. Um, the rest of Europe. Uh, loads and uh, despises the uh, English teams because of all the money they've got. Their freedoms, the free, the freedoms, and and their excessive money, their their unbelievable, unjustified arrogance. <laughs> uh, and you know, everyone. Sorry, which one are we talking? <laughs> sorry, the primary. Sorry, primary. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Everyone is um, everyone is enjoying beating up these English teams. <laughs> so PSV, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, and Juventus. Juventus were the other uh, 
team that beat an English team in the Champions League. Um, so yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about some of that and uh, this and that. Let's get over to our favourite uh, American broadcaster. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behaviour. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Capitino's going to let him keep going. Get him! Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordy! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Brian Murphy, how are you? I am great, boys. You know the deal. The NFL has started over here, which basically means, like, uh, you know, America is back to being America again. <laughs> so uh, I'm still keeping an eye on the baseball pennant races and the uh, and college football, of course, is so great. The tennis was surprisingly good, guys, too. <laughs> but, uh, of course, it's all about the NFL being king of the uh, of the world, really. So all is well stateside. Well, if America is back to being America, is Rex Ryan back to being Rex Ryan <laughs> Whatever that is, as the coach of a new team, the Buffalo Bills. Well, he's definitely one of the week one takeaways, that's for sure. Along with, at some point, we'll have to uh, see what's up with these 49ers and the post-Harbaugh 49ers. Mm-hmm. They got a win to start their year, too. But yeah, of course, all things revolve around New York. If you watch ESPN, you know, which we all do, of course, Rex Ryan gets so much camera time because of the brashness of his personality and because of his ability to kind of make the headline writers take notice. And I got to tell you, if you're doing that in Buffalo, then you're really accomplishing something. Because if you talk about the 32 NFL cities and you really had to kind of power rank them in terms of prestige and and history and, and media attention and just glamour, you know, probably, you know, you got your Dallas Cowboys right there at the top, your New England Patriots, of course, nowadays. You know, uh, I'd still throw a 49ers in there from the old days, teams like that. But the Buffalo Bills, they would be somewhere down around the Jacksonville Jaguars in terms of the lowest of the league as far as buzz and, and uh, you know, and uh, cachet. But Rex Ryan is the new coach of the Buffalo Bills, and he's doing a great job of commanding uh, the media spotlight. And he did it by winning his opener. He beat Andrew Luck in the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, it's only one game, but it's Rex Ryan, you know, and he's he's talking big. And, of course, this Sunday, who do they have? But Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, the Deflate Gate boys, and uh, the Patriots. So it's probably on a national scale, or I should say on an East Coast-centric scale, the biggest game of the year already, week two. Rex Ryan taking on the uh, the New England Patriots and seeing if he can do it again. Because he did it for years as, as a Jet. He tried to mess with Bill Belichick and said, I want his rings, I want his crown. And here he is in the same division now, different city, trying to do it for Buffalo. So all eyes on the Bills and Patriots week two. Yeah, the the weird thing, though, about the Jets-Patriots rivalry was always that, with the exception of whatever it was, the 2010 playoff win that the Jets managed to engineer against the New England Patriots, that Rex Ryan would talk big in the week of the game, and then usually Brady and Belichick would hand him his uh, not inconsiderable arse on the Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Yeah, in fact, I was going through some of the results, and this goes back to 2009 when uh, when Rex Ryan took over the team and took them, by the way, to the AFC Championship game, uh, but did not win. But yeah, I was looking, there was a, t- a game in 2010 when both teams were 9-2, and two, 
And, you know, this is week 12 now. Big game was a big Monday night game. And, you know, here you go. Rex Ryan's got the Jets going. It's going to beat the Patriots. 45 to 3, the Patriots beat Rex Ryan. So uh, things kind of went a little haywire from there, actually. 2011, 2012, and 2013, and 2014, they really couldn't get back to where they were. So, uh, yeah, it is, of course, that's what Bill Belichick does to everybody. I mean, you look at all the teams through the years Tony Dungy and the Indianapolis Colts, uh, you know, um, Bill Cower, or pardon me, Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, Rex Ryan. And the New York Jets, uh, you know, uh, John Fox and the Denver Broncos, all these teams have cropped up, uh, you know, the San Diego Chargers. Uh, they, they've all cropped up through the years and tried to challenge the Patriots. And usually the Patriots get over them. Now, mind, the Patriots didn't win a Super Bowl between 2004 and 2014, but the regular season wins have been relentless. So, of course, the smart money would be on Belichick and the Patriots to get over on them yet again. But it is so early. So many weird things happen in September in the NFL. You know, after week one this year, uh, somebody made a list of all the things that had happened one year ago at this time. You know, like Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers opened last year by killing the Dallas Cowboys, right? And it was like, oh, my God. Well, look what happened. 49ers season went into a ditch. Harbaugh got fired, and the Cowboys wound up, you know, basically beating the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay if they didn't get a bad call and a Des Bryant catch. So we don't want to overreact too much to September football. But Rex Ryan's bringing him on, calling him the hated Patriots, mm. saying he doesn't even know the name of the running back they have because, you know, they have some no-name running back, this kid <laughs> named Deion Lewis. And uh, and he's got some players talking big, too, some Jets players, or pardon me, Bills players are given bulletin board material already. So, uh, you know, Rex is part of his whole deal is to change attitude and change culture. And he did it with the Jets. And now what he's trying to do is do it with Buffalo, which totally needs a culture change. I mean, I referenced their lack of cachet and their lack of buzz. But don't forget, they once were the kings of the AFC. We will never forget four straight AFC championships, four straight Super Bowls for the Buffalo Bills in the early 1990s. Of course, they lost every single one of those Super Bowls, one of the greatest stretches of futility in NFL history. And it's always the debate, can you really be futile when you're actually in the Super Bowl four years in a row? Or are you to be criticized for losing four Super Bowls in a row? The age-old debate. It's better to have loved and lost, <laughs> never to have loved at all. Uh, but this is what Rex Ryan is trying to do with the Bills. He's trying to change their culture and take on the Patriots on even ground. Yeah, I remember we interviewed the old Bills quarterback, Jim Kelly, from that time a few years back. Lo- lovely guy, actually. He gave us a really good interview. And he, uh, not surprisingly, was very much of the opinion that he was proud of the achievement of winning those championships and actually getting to the Super Bowls. I suppose you don't want to be tearing yourself up for the rest of your life but not getting across the line. But Brian, just on on this Patriots versus uh, Bills matchup, and uh, I read a piece on Boston.com which was talking about the, how polar opposite the two coaches are here. It says Rex Ryan is bit parts buffoon, defensive mastermind, poor judge of quarterbacks, aspiring podiatrist, uh, inspirational <laughs> blowhard, a blend of vexation that fans in the New England Patriots should have tired of by now. Now, other than maybe defensive mastermind, that all those descriptions do sound quite opposite to what we think of Bill Belichick. But what's the aspiring podiatrist, podiatrist all about, right? Isn't that feet? Oh, boy. Do we, are we going there? Do well, you want to go there? Do yeah. we wanna, we, oh, boy. You guys didn't make it over there? The, well, uh, I'm, I'm very the, sketchy on the detail. I, know some, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know right. enough to even throw a question at you, so you just come at me with an answer, you guys, please. You guys are in for a real treat after this. So <laughs> about five years ago, somebody, I don't know how, somebody found a video in which Rex Ryan and his wife were play-acting 
in a little uh, flirtatious sort of um, uh, how should I call it? Do I call this sex sex sexcapade? Yeah, Do I oh, call yeah. it that. Yeah, of course. Uh, it it was a it was a play acting bit in which Rex Ryan played a cop who pulled his wife over and then began to admire her feet. And they were pretending they didn't know each other. He's saying, you know, excuse me, ma'am, you were speeding. And then he was saying, uh, wow, those are very lovely feet you have there. They're very soft. Can I rub them? Mm. And it turns out that uh, I guess Rex has a foot fetish. And his wife plays along with it. And, you know, these feet guys, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Our listening audience out there somewhere, there's somebody out there on the podcast nodding their head going, yeah, mm. I'm a foot guy. Yeah, I, I know what he's talking about. Maybe somebody in that room I'm talking to right now knows what I'm talking about. Ken Ernie's nodding certain... his head vigorously here. Ken's a, Ken's a foot guy. So um, actually, it's funny. We just had a, an incident down in Florida. You might want to look up where I, I think down at a college, there was a serial foot sniffer on the loose in a library. What? what so, I'm caught... sorry, serial foot sniffer. <laughs> This just happened this week. You guys should Google serial foot sniffer. Florida. I don't think I will, Brian, to be honest. Uh, I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> he was sneaking under desks at libraries to sniff women's feet. And uh, there are some guys for whom this is what they need to get through the day. Hey, man, we all have our predilections, right? We all have our behind closed doors moments. But of course... Rex Ryan's is the one that reaches the public eye. Again, I'm a little fuzzy on how it got out. I forgot how it got out. I think it was on some sort of website for foot fetish lovers. And he, you know, they never take their clothes off or anything like that. It's just a guy who really gets off on touching women's feet. And it's Rex. And, you know, only Rex could, by the way, survive that. You know, he kind of brushed it off with a, a little bit of humor. And and he, he basically didn't, you know, like, you know, most nowadays you'd have some PR handler come in, you'd pay some guy $250,000 to advise you on how to handle the crisis. You'd probably have to apologize, you know, get you one of those apologies or whatever. But Rex just kind of said, you know, hey, man, whatever. You know, I like my wife's feet. Now let's talk about the game. And, uh, you know, people got a big kick out of it. And in fact, um, Wes Welker of the Patriots, uh, they, they met, I believe, in the playoffs that year or a late season, regular season game. And Wes Welker of the Patriots actually kind of went off the board and did this interview before the game in which he tried to mention feet or toes in every answer in a way to mess with them. He's like, yeah, well, you know, we just got to get off on the right foot. You know, if we can get our toe out ahead of their toe, then we'll be, uh, and he was just really, really going on and on trying to needle Rex. And I think Belichick actually got very upset at him because, you know, Belichick likes, likes his guys on the straight and narrow to never even like get into that kind of stuff. In fact, there was word that Belichick and Wilker had quite a falling out and feud after that. But um, yeah, that's why Amazing. that uh, wonderful description that you that you read had the words "aspiring podiatrist" in it. Bill Pe Belichick, as far as we know, not a footman, Brian. Unless he found out that it gave the Patriots a one percent edge, or even a not point not one percent better chance of winning a game, he'd be all over that. Well, as we know, you know, these guys are, uh, if we could find out now that part of their Spygate videos included, uh, you know, the videotaping of Rex Ryan's wife's feet, then uh, he'd use it somehow, some way, and it would be, uh, it would turn up in our next NFL investigation. Tell us, you mentioned the 49ers won pretty easily in their first game. How did our, well, not our boy, we're, the rest of the world is claiming Jared Hayne now. Uh, you know, we're claiming on behalf, on behalf of the rest of the world here. How did the international superstar Pretty dramatic start, start uh, get on, I think. What yeah. a story. Well, first and foremost, guys, the start was, would he play? 
You know, there was a lot of question as to whether or not he would even be activated. Because what happens is you have 53 players on an NFL roster, and only 46 are allowed to dress. So seven guys, uh, they have what they call in their pajamas. They just wear sweatsuits out there for the game. So there was a big talk about is he even going to play? Because the Niners have other options to return punts. Uh, guy Reggie Bush, of course, is very famous. And then a, a young player named Bruce Ellington who's good too. And the question was, because if you, if you activated Jared Hayne, that meant that you wouldn't activate another. I don't want to get too into the details, but it would mean that he would probably have to play some running back. And he's not known to be nearly as polished at running back as he is at returning punts because returning punts is his native skill. You know, that's what he does in rugby. He, but, but carrying a ball off a handoff from a quarterback and reading offensive linemen in front of him and reading holes. While it, you know, it's somewhat related to rugby. It's not nearly as conducively translated as returning punts. So it was a risk whether or not they're going to activate him. And sure enough, about an hour before the game, when you announce your inactives, it began to buzz around Twitter that Jared Hayne was on the active list. So that was the first big news was that he'd be playing. And then the second big news came when he got on the field and many of your listeners may or may not know by now, but it was the very first punt of the game. And there he was. And it was by the way, set up to be really a strong situation for him because the Vikings were pinned back on their own goal line. The punter was punting from the end zone, which meant that Hayne was going to field the ball at least at midfield, if not inside Viking territory, which meant there's a chance he could take this baby back to the house. You know, can you imagine Jared Hayne first touch touchdown legend forever intergalactic Australian superstar. And instead he misjudged the punt and it bounced off his knee and he fumbled it and the Vikings recovered. You could not have drawn up a more nightmare scenario for Jared Hayne, literally the worst possible thing that could happen. And funny enough, something that he didn't have happen to him at all during the preseason, you know, was it the nerves? I don't know. Was it just a weird bounce of a, a, you know, was it a weird light thing at night? I don't know. Was it just a human being making a mistake? Yeah. Well now, you know, what do you do from there? What do the 49ers do from there? And to their credit, what they did was they ran him back out there again to return another punt. And he took one for actually about 12 yards, which is, you know, a nice return. If you can get 12 yards on a return, that's a good return. Problem was there was a penalty and they had to re-kick. And then the 49ers rethought it and brought Hayne off the field because at the same time, Reggie Bush, their backup running back, strained his calf and got injured. So Jared Hayne went from the number three running back to the number two running back during the game. So everything was changing. He fumbled a punt. His role changed immediately, and he had to play running back, and he wound up getting a few carries. He actually had one nine-yard carry, which wasn't too bad. So he wound up having quite an eventful night, no moments of tremendous glory. Uh, The interesting thing will be what they do with him going forward, because if Reggie Bush is hurt again this Sunday when they play at Pittsburgh, which is quite likely, the 49ers have to decide whether or not they want to go with him at running back or more veteran running back, even though he's a rookie, Mike Davis out of South Carolina, because he's played running back all his life through college. So another decision, in other words, we're going into week two, wondering if he's going to be active again. So um, dramatic and sort of inconclusive, too, at the same time. Yeah, you're going to have to recalibrate your understanding of the phrase rookie. Now, you know, rookie (laughs) has to mean a guy who's played played the sport for less than five weeks. But keeping it global, Brian, for a moment, uh, we it is the biggest week of Irish sport this weekend, uh, the All Ireland Football Final. Uh, last time out, head was overruled by heart. I fear you went for Galway to win the hurling and Mayo to win the All Ireland Football <laughs> semi final replay against Dublin. Both predictions, uh, while bold, were erroneous. Oh for two, I think they call yeah, that. Yeah, oh for two. So what we have now is Dublin versus Kerry. Uh, almost sixty All Ireland t- over sixty All Ireland titles between the two of them. Uh, Clash of the Titans 
How's uh, U.S. Murph going to call this one? Okay. Well, first of all, I know my uh, my credibility is now hanging like a thread, like a child's like a child's loose tooth about to pop out <laughs> at the last second. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta really take this one seriously. I will also take inspiration from my beloved sport of baseball and say that when you go zero for two in baseball. You, you know what you do? You get back in the batter's box for your third at bat. There's no shying away here, baby. Mm-hmm. There's no running away. I'm not running away from this at all. I do need a little information, though, to process my uh, data yep. before the uh, before the Irish write me off. Now, who did Kerry beat in the semifinal to get there? Well, Kerry are the reigning Ireland champions, but have they really been tested this year? They beat Tyrone in the semifinal, and they hammered Kildare in the quarterfinal. So Dublin's, Dublin's uh, they're a little more battle-hardened in the last couple of weeks because Dublin drew at Mayo and then beat Mayo. Uh, now, have Dublin and Kerry played it all this summer in any kind of form? Uh, no, they played a league game that we can completely ignore in February, but Dublin have won the last two games in 2011, All-Ireland Final, and 2013, All-Ireland Semi-Final. So Dublin have, mm-hmm. the, have the hex on Kerry over the last like three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, years. so there is a little bit of ownership, but Kerry is the defending champ. Boy, guys, this is a... This is like this is what a what a showdown. Are you guys all going? Well, all going well. Right, if you have yeah, any tickets, if you have any tickets spare there, please uh, FedEx them over or whatever. Come on, second captains. Where's the press? Where's the love? If there's any listeners out there who are big shots who have a suite, please allow the boys to go on in. And uh, and and by the way, just a quick digression before I I'm delaying until I make my pick. I received a tweet last night from the Giants game. Giants Reds on a Tuesday night. You know, just only the diehards in mid-September out there. Uh, and I got a tweet from a, a, a listener to KMBR who says, just met these three lads from Dublin. And there's a picture of three guys all hoisting their beers, mm. all good-looking young lads. And she said, they're all ardent second captains fans. Oh, and man. they all enjoy the KMBR, the U.S. Murph segment. So, boys, we got people looking out for us in the bleachers out at San Francisco's <laughs> AT&T Park. Well, bleachers, so. is, bleachers is good. Not as good as the corporate suites, but that's neither here nor well, there. Well, you know? The bleacher type people. We appl- we appeal to the man of the people. So there you go. Okay. Well, I tell you what. A, I want you guys to go. I will get there. I want somebody to come up with tickets to get you guys there. And C, man. Well, you guys know my history with with seeing Dublin succeed in September back in '92 with Vinnie Murphy, etc. Um, of course, um, I got to tell you though, the kingdom. They're like the New York Yankees. Yeah. I mean, I, when the Yankees get to the grand stage, and I understand Dublin's beaten them twice, but to me, there's ample motivation in Kerry to avenge those two losses. To me, there's ample pride in Kerry to defend the crown. To me, I feel like Dublin somehow squeaked past, uh, was it Mayo yeah, in the, uh, in the semifinal? By the way, what was the final score in that game? It was 315 to 114, I think. Yeah, like I think a couple of late goals. Dublin put their foot in the gas in the last uh, 15, 20 minutes. Tell you what, guys, you know, in, in addition to my analysis and my data, because it is a data-driven world now anymore, yeah. I am going to see Kerry. I'm leaning Kerry. And then you got to go with the old sentimental thing, right? Because, I mean, we do believe in, uh, as my partner calls them, the particles, which I wrote last time. We always talk about the Murphys from Boeing, but we never talk about the Fitzgeralds from Kerry on my grandma's side. Ah, right. So, come, yeah, I know. We never talk about them. So uh, let's go and say that the boys from the Southwest – from Munster, will avenge the 2011 and 2013 defeats and repeat as All-Ireland football champions. Brian, you've made a lot of Kerry people somewhat uncomfortable because they're trying to play themselves down as always, but secretly happy. Listen, enjoy the weekend, uh, round two of the NFL fixtures, and we'll talk to you next week. Come on, the kingdom. Chief, you do got this. I'll get mother about. You know what I mean, mate?
Your bikes in your desk, boom. Your bikes in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just what's up, I'm trying to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need to fucking work, you wanna... You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is book a record stuff. Get a grip! He's your biggest fool. Well, those are phrases you don't hear too often on our uh, US sports or indeed any of our segments, Murph. Serial foot sni- sniffer mm-hmm. and <laughs> sexcapade. Yeah, sexcapade, we could probably do it. I mean, serial foot sniffer, I'm happy if that's never repeated again, but sexcapade, we could probably get into a few more stories. I would. I, I, I like would the way not. Brian doubted whether that was the right word to use. He was really trying to... Is it a sexcapade? Yeah, it's, it, 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 could, it is. Uh, you could definitely describe it thus. So uh, <laughs> that's what he went for there. All right, Ireland World Cup starts against Ireland World Cup. Ireland's World Cup campaign starts against Canada on Saturday afternoon in Cardiff. Two thirty. Team is just in as we record. Simon, what's the big news? Actually, quite a bit of news. I mean, you get used to the Joe Schmidt teams being fairly predictable, but uh, as confirmed, uh, well, it was in a few of the papers this morning. Robbie Henshaw is out of the Canada game. He's tweaked his hamstring. He should be back for the Romania game, so it's not too serious. The surprise maybe is that Luke Fitzgerald has come in at 12 as opposed to Ian Madigan. Um, and the other bit of news is that Devon Toner drops out completely. Uh, oh, he's not, the even, squad, on not subs, even on the bench. Not even the subs. Right. Uh, so Henderson, Ian Henderson comes in in the second row. And Tommy Bow, which is maybe not a surprise, is completely out of the squad too, or the playing squad for the weekend. Uh, so that means Earls comes in on the wing. I watched a uh, the press conference yesterday, the day before, and <laughs> Simon Sebo was in it, and he was being asked, you know, what about this Tommy Bow massive drop off in form? Is it a real crisis of confidence for Tommy? And Simon Sebo, you can see him going, what? what? I'm but the last you? person. Yeah, literally. Uh, no, he's a great winger, brilliant, not a crisis of confidence, amazing. You know, move on. But uh, just on, yeah. So okay. Uh, at least Henshaw's injury doesn't sound serious or anything. It's a hamstring strain, so he looks like he'll be back for Romania. But has it already highlighted that we could be a little bit light in that position? Has Luke played there much? It, yeah, maybe explains why Joe picked more our centres and wingers than we thought was necessary. But Luke played there four years ago under Joe at Leinster and was getting injuries at that time and it was interrupted seasons. And maybe Joe had big plans at that time and had in the back of his head all that time, just like he had Ian Madigan as a scrum half in the back of his head a year ago. So who knows what he's plotting. Uh, your prediction, Sam? Comfortable? Well, no, Pain one. for Canada. Uh, 40 points. 40 points. Yeah. That's a big win. Yeah. We don't put 40 points. Well, score we did. 40 points or to win by 40 a points. Clear, clear by 40 points. So yeah. 50, Candles 52, 12, 12 15 something. points, maybe. Yeah. Uh, listen, if Canada are... Uh, if we're giving Canada 15 points they were as well just come home I mean if, if, if I think if we concede 15 points then forget about the whole the whole affair uh, I'd say we should forfeit our place in the World Cup if we concede that amount just bow out gracefully hand yeah, in our say, resignation listen, listen the Italians are probably better ambassadors for European rugby that's all I'm saying so I, I reckon it needs to be 50 and I want a zero I want no points Conceded to Canada. That's what I'm. That's we what want I'm their dignity on. Forget about that. I'm just <laughs> looking forward to Kennedy's letter from Brighton yeah, after <laughs> thumping after the biggest shock in rugby history: Japan defeating South Africa <laughs> nine eight outside the box and outside his comfort zone. <laughs> Kennedy reporting live from Brighton. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Simon. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you.
Murph? Uh, thanks. So. Oh. Yeah, thanks, Ken. <laughs> thanks, Simon. Thank you, John. Thank you, thanks. Simon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Do rate the podcast on iTunes, comment, subscribe, do all those things. Great weekend coming up. We'll chat to you on Monday. And don't forget to listen to the football podcast at 7 now. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.